the pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's John DePietro on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. It's 106. It's Thursday, September 23rd. It's the John DePietro Show right here. As I said, AM 1380 or 99.9 FM. You can listen at the website, DePietro.com. Folks, log on there. It's also a place that you can reach me. You can also visit the shop. We have some great items. You can also, uh, that's uh, links to all my social media, whether it's Facebook, got the link fixed, or Twitter, or Instagram, or YouTube. You can also listen live at the website. And, whoa, what's this? If you want to support the show, is that what I see at the top? Yes. Sometimes people are a one-time donor uh, donation. Sometimes people become a monthly supporter. Either way, it's all right at the top. At the website, DeBetro.com. Well, you'll see the stories. Will Brown tear Smith Hill down? Meaning Matt Brown. Also, Dr. Alexander Scott caving on the mandate. Picture speaker Thick Mattiello. Kind of play on words with Thick Mattiello. What does Alorza do now? Mayor, Mayor Jorge Elijah will not be running for office. So the latest on that and then some other stories and unique stories. Um... On that, and folks, again, you know, the thing about Facebook, many of you are not on Facebook, but many people, if you go to the website, topetro.com, you can link through and then watch one on Facebook. So there's different benefits to visiting the website, topetro.com. Now, we are trying to get um, more information on, on the, there was an FBI raid in Smithfield early this morning. And the FBI is one of those organizations, very, very difficult to get information out of. And so we're trying to follow up on that. I've also seen Providence Firefighters Union urge state to reconsider vaccine mandate. Now, that's really interesting how Governor McKee is, he's, he's having a tough time with, hey, it's the McKee administration that announced the doing the mandate. And, or actually, it was really Department of Health. And he's like along for the ride. All right. So the situation, uh, Channel 10 arrived at this home, Fenwood Avenue, Fenwood Avenue, around 730 this morning. Heavy police presence surrounded the house and three people wearing FBI vests were removing items from the house. So that was this morning. FBI told the uh, court ordered search didn't provide any other details. So we're still trying to find out some information on that. Big uh, mess is what's going on in Washington with the Biden administration and the situation with the border. And we'll update you on that as well. But I want to get to, I saw a couple other um, stories. (laughs) I mean, that's a joke. Jen Psaki is now blaming the Trump administration for the border crisis. I mean, what, what, how, what are you talking about? You're in charge now. You're in charge. You're absolutely in charge right now. How much longer are they going to be blaming President Trump? Um, I don't 
understand how much longer. How about folks? Afghan evacuee, 20, charged with sexually assaulting minors at a U.S. Air Force base. Hmm. I think that's interesting. I think that's very interesting since Governor McKee was saying that he was, Rhode Island was opening our doors and arms for all the Afghan refugees. Two of them. Boy, that didn't take long. Already being uh, arrested on raping minors. So that's something to consider. Keep in mind. I always like to say, you know, I think they have enough people they could have them staying to the home. I also want to just... Um, Alex Guerrero weighs in how Bill Belichick treated Tom Brady. He never evolved. So, this I know this is different than what we normally talk about. But with Tom Brady's return to Gillette, the Buccaneers travel to New England for week four Sunday night matchup. Folks, it's next Sunday night, October 3rd. Discussion of his relationship with Belichick is already ramped up. Earlier this week, Tom Brady Sr. unleashed his own take. Belichick wanted him out the door, said Tom Brady Sr. And last year he threw 50 touchdowns. The latest now who's speaking up is Alex Guerrero. Speaking with Karen Gregorian of the Boston Herald, who has covered the Patriots forever. She does an excellent job. Guerrero, Guerrero described Brady Sr. opinion, the emotions that were spoken by a loving father. Casting his own doubt on whether or not that's how Brady himself felt. Although, folks, you have to imagine... If Tom Brady did not want his father or anyone else speaking out, he could put the kibosh on it. He's not saying anything. All right. So when you're mid-40s, how often are you calling your dad to talk about your work? Guerrero also offered his thoughts on the Patriots coach treated the longtime quarterback. According to Alex Guerrero, a key Belichick principal treating every player the same didn't fit Brady's circumstances. I think in time with Tom. As Tom got in the late 30s, early 40s, Bill was still treating him like that 20-year-old kid that he drafted. And all the players, I think, realized Tom was different. He's older, so he should be treated differently, added Guerrero. And all the players, none of them would have cared that if he was treated differently. I think that was such a Bill thing. He never evolved. So you can't treat someone who's in the 40s like they're 20. It doesn't work. Guerrero didn't feel that winning a Super Bowl with the Bucks brought a stronger feeling of vindication. Guerrero said it could have been a cool story had Brady stayed in New England. But at that point, the 44-year-old quarterback is motivated purely by a desire to win, not by revenge. We have the drive and the will because we love winning, he said. Uh, that's interesting. That never evolved. I think that's also probably a fear criticism. I think that's a very uh, fear criticism of the way Belichick runs things. Folks, that game. Now, again, I don't run a sports show. Although I was in New York over the weekend with Alan Hockman and everybody else for the Patriots-Jets. And that Patriot team looked good. Big game coming up Sunday against the Saints. Um, but that's interesting that Belichick never evolved. That's uh, an interesting way to, to look at it. And it, it probably, you know, I think that's pretty accurate. Now, as some people may, as you may or may not know, at 114, for several years, I did cover the Patriots. I'd go up to Gillette 
Uh, every Wednesday was media day. And, you know, I have video and uh, pictures interviewing Tom Brady outside of his his locker. You'd go right into the locker. Then, you know, then it, it became just they'd, they'd go um, into the, the, the media room. And I've been there with, with Belichick and you interview the different players. It's, it's very different. It's an interesting way to um, you, you get great insight by being there. You get great insight by being there. I also, I just want to read this tweet. After the Sopranos and the Wire came out, everyone was like, TV's good now. It's a real medium for genuine high art. But then nobody actually went out and made comparably good shows again. Um, and then someone that I follow tweeted out, well, that's not true. Mad Men, excellent. Breaking Bad, excellent. And then some of these, I, the other ones, I haven't seen as much. I wouldn't say Better Call Saul's one of the best shows ever. Curb Your Enthusiasm, hit or miss, but I like it, Larry. So, all right, folks, I want to play um, NBC10 did a story. And Speaker Joe Sakachi, I, I, think, I think this is a one-day story. Doesn't mean it's not a, a story worth doing. But I don't know how. Normally, they got tipped off. I'm going to say Channel 10 got... I, we we still don't have an update, by the way, on this, on uh, the FBI in Smithfield. We're trying to find out, but we still don't have any new information on that. Um, but this business about how much it cost with meals at the at the state house, with 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 um, with meals at the state house. So, you know, I mean, on the one hand. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think it's an unfair piece. I don't think it's an unfair piece of undoing just how much. I mean, two hundred thousand, two hundred thousand on meals uh, that that you pay for. And and the rationale that that they try to say is, well, you know, the, a lot of them are coming from other jobs. And therefore, they're there quite late. But I, I think that something could you you think something could be done as far as I, I think that then there's there's some benefit when one of the people at the state house call on one of you know one of the um, caterers and saying that you know they're they're having some kind of a function. I'm sure they get some kind of a, a deal, but I'll I'll play the piece. It's not a, it's not the greatest piece. It's not the worst. I, I like whenever local TV does something on, on the local. Let's hear this. Pizza deliveries to catering. Rhode Island lawmakers are dining on your dime while in session. It's been a standard practice for years at the Rhode Island State House. Good evening, I'm Patrice Wood. And hi everyone, I'm Dan Janik in for Gene. Yeah, they're being served food, you're being served the bill. Tonight the I-team's Tamara Sakarzik is breaking down the numbers. I went through nine months of spending records from the General Assembly. Although they didn't spend as much on food as they have in previous years, some of their bills totaled thousands of dollars. From Pronzi to Greg's to Plant City. Nearly $200,000 of your tax money kept state lawmakers well-fed during the pandemic. Do you think taxpayers would be okay with that? I think they would. I think they understand that we're not lavish about it and we're not using it for alcohol purposes. We took the numbers to House Speaker Joe Shikarchi after learning the General Assembly spent 190 
$1,244 on food and beverages from January of 2020 to April of 2021. In some cases, that cost a few grand per day. In other cases, a single bill topped $5,000. The bill you're talking about is not the typical average bill. Those are the end of session bills where we hear 12 to 14 hours a day. And it's all local restaurants. It's lemongrass from Warwick. It's nothing uh, out of the ordinary. But that wasn't the only pricey payment we stumbled on. In a span of nine months, the legislature spent nearly $41,000 at catering company Pronzi with several thousand dollar bills. Do you think that you could argue that Pronzi would be an expensive purchase? Uh, Pronzi is... Um they provide a service. I don't think we use them as much this year. Shikarchi points out that unlike most states, Rhode Island lawmakers are part-time, coming straight from their full-time jobs to sessions that can last for hours. We start in the afternoon. Some of the hearings start at 2 o'clock and they go until 10 o'clock. So we have to feed people. I'm a diabetic, uh, so you have to eat at certain times. People have health issues. While the average taxpayer may not have known about this spending, it's been common practice in Rhode Island for decades since it's happening on your or dime, it's also public information. We in Rhode Island have won awards in terms of other states of being very transparent with our spending. I'm sure if anybody wanted to find out, so a good reporter such as yourself, you can find out what you did. Lawmakers did tighten their belts over the past session, spending nearly $157,000 less in 2020 and part of 2021 compared to 2019. To see the spending records for yourself, head to turn to 10.com. For the NBC Tonight team, I'm Tamara Sakarza. You know, I didn't know that that she is now working uh, on quote the I team. So now again, uh, I thought the speaker handled it pretty well. Um, I, I I still think it's too much money. I don't think it's necessary. I think um, if they were a little more creative, they could get some different restaurants and move it around a little bit and say. Uh, we're going to give different restaurants a chance, if they're open to it, that they want people to sample it, sample different restaurants, and then maybe, you know, so give everybody a chance to get up there. I think there'd be uh, interest in something like that. So I'm going to actually recommend that. Um, I'm going to recommend that to the speaker. Now, let's go to the um, folks. And again, good afternoon right now at 120. It's John DePietro on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. I want to um, just remind you that September is Suicide Awareness Month. And you'll hear that we have a guest on, Dr. Rob Wilson, who's terrific. But whether you're a man, there, there apparently is... An epidemic of men over the age of 50 who are taking their own life. So whether that's you or a family member, father, husband, grandfather, son, the website that you want to look into is mantherapy.org. And it's a 20-point checklist that you take, mantherapy.org. As I said, September is Suicide Awareness Month. Check out the website. It's easy. It's quick. It's anonymous. Mantherapy.org. You hear a lot about, folks, the pandemic has been tough. The pandemic has been difficult on everybody. But there's something wrong and odd that a huge group right now 
that are feeling so desperate and thinking that they have no way out are men over the age of 50. Man, men, hold on, let me give it the right, mentherapy.org, mentherapy.org. I did post this, by the way, also, I believe, on mantherapy.org, M-A-N, mantherapy.org. I did post a link to it on the Facebook page. So you're going to hear us talk about it. I know of someone, and I talked about it on, not a, I don't think so much on the radio, a little bit, but he fit that category over the age of 50 and, and certainly stunned a lot of his friends when, you know, when he, for whatever reason, hit a place that he didn't know how to get out of and thought for whatever reason that was maybe his only option. You know, many times when you people hear about someone taking their own life, it's normally, you, you think of it, it is, it's very sad, but it's a problem with young people. It can be people that, that have some kind of a, a drug problem. Other times, there are people that just, you know, that guy in Warren, first he, he shot and killed someone, then he shot another person, and then he took his own life. You don't know what led up to that, but uh, it's a it's a, no question at at one twenty three on this Thursday, September twenty third, folks. It's an awkward conversation for family to have, but what's worse is the conversation the family has after the fact. After the fact, so I I also spoke out. I had two children, not one, two graduate this past spring, one a high school graduation. And then won a college graduation. And at both, there were children graduating that within, you know, one month run up to the graduation, their, and not, you know, related or anything, but their fathers took their own life. And they are both, I mean, that's really someone who was hit a for the, at the dangerous sounding cliche, but has really found themselves in a bad spot, in a bad place where it is an absolute life milestone for the child. The college graduation, walking across the stage with the diploma, the high school graduation, the photo of them with the cap and gown. And then, and then they have to be there with after their father had taken his own life, like one of them was two weeks before the graduation. Like, again, folks, no, no, I'm not judging anyone here. I think it's people fall into a hole they don't know how to get out of. That's what I believe. As I said, uh, September Suicide Awareness Month, mantherapy.org. If you're a man, you should go on and just take it. If you're a female woman, your husband, your son, your brother, uncle, grandfather, whoever, maybe someone you work with. Now, folks, right now at 125, before we talk about the border, I also want to just mention, if you're listing right now, and either you or a family member or someone you work with, if we're involved with some kind of an auto accident or maybe a slip and fall or a workplace injury, domestic abuse, folks, You need the fighter. You are entitled to be compensated for your injuries. In an ideal world, the other party would step forward and say, hey, listen, that was our fault. 
very sorry about that. Here's what you're going to get. As I said, in a perfect world. But it just doesn't happen. That's why you need the fighter. Folks, fight back. Call Jack. Free consultation. I'll tell you what I'm offering at 126 on this Thursday afternoon. A free consultation. Just call 401-785-9400. I received an email from Lisa. John, can I mention? Yes, you can mention my name. I was listening to the John DePietro show. I want to call for the free consultation. 401-785-9400. Jack Calvino. 50 years personal experience, 100 years total combined for the staff. Fight back. Call Jack. 401-785-9400. The problem at the border, the crisis at the border, and it is a crisis. And the fact is, um, they don't have an easy answer on this. Because they have kind of ignored it, and they keep now trying to blame, um, trying to blame President Trump for it, which is ridiculous. But let's listen. This is Jen Psaki, who doesn't know where the migrants were claimed were expelled or released went, and this this is frightening. Let's listen. I have a question about the numbers that you gave and the math. So there are 15,000 migrants under the Del Rio Bridge Saturday. If you add up the ones that you say were expelled or released, it's less than 5,000. Say there's 5,000 that are still left. Where's everybody else? I, I'm happy to get you a more uh, fruitful rundown for you if, you, if, if helpful, from the department. Doesn't know where they went. Wouldn't you have a immediate answer as to where those individuals are? All right. All right. Let's also go. Pete Ducey of Fox. By the way, he, his father, they have really played this great because he is the White House correspondent. He gets a lot of time. And at some point, he may take his father's place on Fox and Friends. But for now, let me, um, I want to get to the part where Pete Ducey's talking about migrants. You, you don't believe when women say they're Here pregnant? We, hold on. Is that Here a big go. A process for expedited removal or removal proceedings. That is our immigration process that we are proceeding under. A final follow-up. You say the border is not open, but we're told by our teams on the ground, you guys are releasing pretty much all family units, couples where the woman says that she is pregnant or single women who say that they are pregnant and that, that nobody actually has to take a pregnancy test unless they want to. So, are you uh, suggesting you don't believe when women say they're pregnant? Is that a big issue, we think, at the border? I am not in charge of keeping the border secure. You guys are. Pregnant women are posing a big threat to the border. You tell me. To the border community. Is that a big issue? You tell me. I'm not aware of pregnant women being a big issue of concern to people at the border. What I will note for you, Peter, is that, as I said earlier, there is a process if people cannot be expelled under Title 42 uh, for a range of reasons. Some of that is because countries they came from or other countries, including Mexico, may not be accepting families with children under the age of seven. They are placed in removal proceedings. Those removal proceedings require them to either go to a detention facility or require them to go uh, get a notice to appear and including providing their biometric data and otherwise so that they can be uh, we can ensure we know where they are and we can ensure we know uh, when they're going to come back. So that's what the process is. If there's a big outrage about pregnant women, I'm not tracking it. The issue is not about pregnant women. The issue is, is 
the border open or is the border closed? Because my understanding is that a lot of this is happening on this side of the border. I think you know the answer to that question, and I just conveyed clearly that we are implementing our border restrictions, including Title 42, including uh, making clear that people who are coming through irregular migration, uh, that it, this is not the time to come, uh, and they will be placed in removal proceedings. Go- you know, I want to answer that question since she's so snarky about it. Listen, nothing, this is simple. And right now it's 1.30. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show, AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Nothing should be on the honor system. That's the answer. Nothing should be on the honor system. You know, he's raising a good point that the coyotes or others who are getting the people there and smuggling them there could say, listen, if asked, just say you're pregnant. And then they won't throw you out. So as, as obnoxious as she is, he raises a very good point. And I think a very fair point. Nothing should be on the honor system. And folks, let's, let's just step back for a moment. Right? You go in somewhere. You have to show an ID. You have to prove who you are. What if someone hands an ID and it says, you know, that the person on the ID is, just as an example, you know, uh, six feet. 200 pounds, and the person in front of them is 5, 4, and 100 pounds. Nothing is done on the honor system. So they could be uncovering the way around it is you're a woman, just say you're pregnant. If you say you're pregnant, then they let you stay. If down the line, they ask, well, wait a minute, how do you get in? How'd you get in here? Say, well, I was pregnant, and then I'm just, but I miscarried. But what he raises a good point, and she's dodging around, oh, are pregnant women? Are pregnant women a problem at the border? A problem at the border, Jen Psaki, could be women who claim to be pregnant. And then saying that they, therefore, you get to stay. I want to hear that again. I want to hear that again. A process for expedited removal or removal proceedings. That is our immigration process that we are proceeding under. A final follow-up. You say the border is not open, but we're told by our teams on the ground, you guys are releasing pretty much all family units, couples where the woman says that she's pregnant or single women who say that they are pregnant and that, that nobody actually has to take a pregnancy test unless they want to. So, are you um, suggesting you don't believe when women say they're pregnant? Is that a big issue, we think, at the border? I am not in charge of keeping the border secure. You guys are. Pregnant women are posing a big threat to the border? You tell me. To the border community? Is that a big issue? You tell me. I'm not aware of pregnant women being a big issue of concern to people at the border. What I will note for you, Peter, is that, as I said earlier, there is a process. If people cannot be expelled under Title 42, uh, for a range of reasons, some of that is because countries they came from or other countries, including Mexico, may not be accepting families with children under the age of seven. They are placed in removal proceedings. Those removal proceedings require them to either go to a detention facility or require them to go uh, get a notice to appear and including. Listen, she is so obnoxious. That is the White House press secretary. Is pregnant women a problem? The, the answer should have been, and that would have, would have been a little tricky. Because then he's trying to think on his feet. But there should be no honor system. Because it would be very easy to tell women, whether if you're traveling alone, just say you're pregnant. Or if you're traveling with your boyfriend, just say you're pregnant. If you're a woman and if you say you're pregnant, you stay. 
So, and there's no pregnancy test given. See, that's the key. As opposed to, oh, you claim to be pregnant. Go to tent six. There's a doctor there and you have to take a pregnancy test. I don't want to do that. Well, then you can't, you can't stay. Nothing should be done. on. The, why is there an honor system? What other, that's a loophole. That's a loophole that's being exploited. I'll answer her question. Are pregnant women a problem on the border? No. The loophole that if you say you're pregnant, you're not deported, could potentially be be a problem. Potentially. Let me hear that one more time. I'm suggesting it shouldn't be an honor system. What else? What are, then why do people have to show an ID? Are you suggesting that they're not who they say they are? How, I don't accept the premise of the question. You don't know if they're pregnant women. They're women claiming to be pregnant. And there's a difference, folks, of someone six months pregnant and someone six weeks pregnant. Is that a big issue, we think, at the border? I am not in charge of keeping the border secure. Do you, you guys think are. pregnant women are posing a big threat? No. Do I think pregnant women are posing a big threat? No. It's a loophole to get around. My question is, why are we using an honor system? There should be no honor system. That's my question. The border? To the border communities? Is that a big issue? Potentially. If, if it's a way for women to get in. Why are all these people allowed to say, oh, she's pregnant? Is she really pregnant? Or is she just being told that if you say you're pregnant, you get to stay? All right, here's... um. Good morning, America. The heartbreaking scene. Children sleeping on cardboard. Here we go. And we need to make sure that we're Hold on. This morning, new images of that migrant camp under the Del Rio Bridge. A significant decrease, but the scene still heartbreaking. There is a humanitarian need here, and we need to make sure that we're treating everybody fairly. Overnight, new numbers from the Department of Homeland Security say since Sunday, more than 1,400 migrants have been flown back to Haiti on a dozen flights. 3,200 taken into custody but still in the U.S., preparing to be deported or placed into removal proceedings while they seek asylum. Less than 5,000 migrants, mostly Haitian, remain in this encampment, down from roughly 14,000 over the weekend. Yes, there are fewer people here, but it is still tough to see these images. Children sleeping on cardboard families waiting for the u.s to tell them what's next you know again th- that is uh good morning america that that's the biden administration here's where jen Psaki, the obnoxious biden press secretary blames the trump administration for the border crisis here we go jen, we haven't yet heard recently uh, from president biden specifically about these images uh, on the border you have described him as saying that they're horrible but what does he believe the, of the comparisons being made between his administration and the trump administration we saw congressman maxine waters who said today saying this is trump's policy several other democrats are saying this looks like the previous administration what does he think of those comments well 
what our role is and what the president has asked uh, his outreach team, members of his national security team, homeland security team to do, is to explain clearly what our policy is and what our policy is not. We could not see it as any more different from the policy of the prior administration, which the president feels, we all feel, was inhumane, immoral, ineffective, uh, not operationally, wasn't operationally working. And because of the dysfunction uh, of it, uh, we, we have led to a very broken system that we're dealing with today. So what he has asked all of us to convey clearly to people who are understandably have questions, are passionate, are concerned, as we are about the images that we have seen, is one, we feel those images are horrible and horrific. There's an investigation the president certainly supports overseen by the Department of Homeland Security, which he has conveyed will, uh, will happen quickly. I can also convey to you that the secretary also conveyed to civil rights leaders earlier this morning that we would no longer be using horses in Del Rio. Uh, so that is something, a policy change that has been made in response. But separately, all related, it's also important for people to understand what our process and our immigration process is and what the steps are that are taken. We are still under Title 42 because we are in a global pandemic. So we are still operationalizing that. If people are not um, are not expelled under that, then they are. Uh, there are a range of options. Either they are uh, put into a uh, an alternative to detention, where they where biometric data is required. They are required to. Uh, they are given a notice to appear, uh, or they are given uh, or they are put in an ICE facility. This is the process that is ongoing and has happened for every other migrant who has attempted to come irregularly across the border. You know. Folks, again, they are, um, as much as they're trying to run defense here, they they own it. They own it. And I think Tucker Carlson summed it up pretty well. Here we go. Listen to this. An unrelenting stream of immigration. But why? Well, Joe Biden just said it to change the racial mix of the country. That's the reason, to reduce the political power of people whose ancestors lived here and dramatically increase the proportion of Americans newly arrived from the third world. And then Biden went further. He said that non-white DNA is the, quote, source of our strength. Imagine saying that. This is the language of eugenics. It's horrifying. But there's a reason Biden said it. In political terms, this policy is called the Great Replacement, the replacement of legacy Americans with more obedient people from faraway countries. They brag about it all the time. But if you dare to say it's happening, they will scream at you with maximum hysteria. And here do you have Joe Biden confirming his motive on tape with a smile on his face. You know, that is right on, folks, also. And here's the part that I want you to understand. And again, good afternoon. It's 1.40 on this Thursday. It's John DePietro on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Um, th- that, that is also, by the way, of what's going on in Rhode Island, where they want to welcome in these people who will just go along with exactly, you know, whatever is introduced and explained. Now, I want to play a PBS reporter demanded and really goes after apparently on the Haiti situation, the, the Haiti migrants. I want to just hear this back and forth again. This was at the White House press briefing. Thanks, Dad. A couple questions on the first is the, the president has often used his bully pulpit during the most important times 
to his administration. Why is he not using that holy pulpit to speak out forcefully himself on the treatment of patients? I would say, Yamish, um, certainly I've represented to you all his point of view. Uh, his point of view is also reflected in the actions that have been taken through the administration, including the investigation, including the change in policy. Uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security oversees these efforts um, and has been quite outspoken and quite visible on what steps we should take moving forward. And he certainly may still speak to it. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of events happening here, including the, the UN General Assembly, COVID, and others, and uh, I, I wouldn't rule that out. Respectfully, I just have a couple more questions that everyone else got questions in. Respectfully, I understand that you are the spokesperson for the president. These are images that are traumatizing Haitian Americans that he promised to treat respectfully and, and with humanity. Why isn't the president telling people himself these images that people say look like slavery are wrong? Me as president, I as president, condemn them. How is he not doing that? Why is he not doing that? And, and how, what are people supposed to take away from the fact that he's not that believable but himself talking about these images? Amish, I think people should take away that his actions make clear how horrible and horrific he thinks these images are, uh, including an investigation, including a change of policy. They were doing their job. Conveying clearly that this is not acceptable and this is he's not going to stand for this in the Biden-Harris administration. Our actions make that absolutely crystal clear, as have our engagements with a range of voices, a range of concerned advocates, members of Congress, and others who we want to communicate with, not just about our horror, but also about what our immigration policy is moving forward. Also said in his letter, he called the, the, the U.S. policy inhumane, deeply flawed. Does the president believe anything in this letter that Daniel Foote is saying rings true, has some sort of point that he, that he believes is, is true? Which aspect? He called the, 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 he called the, the policy toward Haiti inhumane. He said that he wasn't specific in his letter. What I noted earlier before, what I noted earlier, let me finish, Yamish. What I noted earlier before is that we have taken very specific actions as it relates to the horrific photos that we've. That All right. Now, listen, I, I don't know how much more of this foolishness we're supposed to listen to. The photos weren't that bad. The Border Patrol was just doing their job. I mean, the, the, these people are just so beyond the pale. So beyond the pale. Folks, good afternoon. It's Juan. It's John DePietro on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. And we can always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. So I also want to play uh, Providence Mayor Jorge Eloya sat down with Ed Fitzpatrick of the, of the Boston Globe. And I want to hear, hear some of this. Um candid conversation that they had or dip into it a little bit obviously not gonna listen to the whole thing but um but i do want to hear a little bit of um mayor alorza with uh ed fitzpatrick we'll listen to a little bit of it so um and this is the one where he has that awkward laugh about Governor McKee, but this is the first interview that the mayor of Providence did since he announced that he would not be running for governor. So, you know, just the, the verbiage he uses gives you some insight into him. The fact that he seems so unprepared is interesting. 